Welcome to Two Guys in the Bible. My name is Dylan Keniston, and I am joined this beautiful Sunday morning with my host, Eric Leupold. What's going on, brother? Uh, not much. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine this morning. I'm doing just fine. Happy um, Veterans Day, by the way. Happy Veterans Day. That's right. It's, it is It is Veterans Day. Thank a veteran uh, out there. Um, and, and a timely subject Very interesting. at that. Yeah, indeed. Um, today, we're going to be talking about pacifism. Um, we, I think we, we just had an episode on, on just war pretty recently. We did. We had an episode on sphere sovereignty pretty recently. And I, I think, you know, during those conversations, I remember one of the things that was coming up was like, oh, well, you know, but there's this pacifist strand. We'll talk about that later. We did. We did. Yeah. And so now we that's get a chance today. to, that's today, right? So now <laughs> we get a chance to bring that back to the front. Um, so uh, let's, so let's unpack this notion of pacifism just a little bit. Um, first of all, what do we mean by pacifism? And is it something that I mean, is it, what, what's, what's the big deal? Like, I mean, don't, can't we just, so I, I, I would imagine something like, can't we you know, all just get along? Can't we all just get along? <laughs> right. Can't we all just like, you know, hold hands, kumbaya and, and, uh, peace on earth and goodwill, goodwill towards humanity. Yeah. Well, um, to give a little bit of context, uh, so for those of you who, who are tuning in and maybe you did check out our, our episode on, on the state well, government and on just war. So in, in those episodes, we were kind of talking about the big picture. Yes, this is what government does. Okay, yes, this is um, uh, how government can do uh, warfare. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so this is what a, a, a just or a good, not good, I hate to use that word good, but a justified or an ethical war would look like. And the age-old question is, okay, well, uh, uh, you know, Christians don't have to be involved in government, and we don't have to be involved in war. So is our Christians uh, supposed to avoid those things? You know, certainly uh, the world can do those things, and this is a, from the perspective of, uh, uh, of uh, an, uh, a Reformation time period uh, strand uh, of Anabaptism. Uh, for those of you who might not be familiar, um, the Mennonites came out of the Anabaptist mm-hmm. uh, tradition. Uh, Menno Simmons was the uh, was the uh, was the founder of the Mennonites, and so he he affirmed a a role of Christians should not be involved in government, and they should not be involved in um, in wielding the sword, so using force or violence against anybody. And that was during the time of the Reformation that that came about, and it, it's still prevalent today, right, in in various forms. And so that's the old age old question: like, can Christians, as God's people, take life or should we not do that uh, or and, 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 and uh, is it okay for us to refrain from serving in the military Got if it. the government asks us to do that so i guess the idea of pacifism is the belief that we should not use violence to i guess respond to conflict in any way Really? Yeah. Be... Well, because I because I, I've heard this kind of teased out in different strands of, of pacifism, right? So okay. you have so so one strand might say, you know, under no circumstances ever is it appropriate to use uh, to use, let's say, force. Force. Right? Yeah. Um, and then you know, there's a whole another strand that says, well, you know, it it may be appropriate under certain circumstances, but only for non-Christians. You know, Christians mm-hmm. need to be conscientious subjectors because they belong to another kingdom. They follow mm-hmm. another king. They follow a heavenly king in Christ yeah. who, you know, we'll, we'll come to some of the relevant Bible passages. Yeah. Um, but, you know, turn the other cheek. Um, don't uh, put away the sword. Put, Those who live by the sword, die by the sword. sword. Die by the sword. That's exactly. Right. There's, there's a number of these passages that um, kind of make it sound as if Jesus is inviting his followers to live a kind of pacifist, what seems that way on the surface of it, lifestyle. 
Um, and so for conscience sake to be, you know, to, to withdraw from those institutions, or at least to be serving in the civil magistrate at such a low level that you don't really have decision-making power. You might be a clerk yeah. or a secretary, but you're not making any of the real decisions such that, you know, there's some kind of very, very, very distant, if any, connection to the course of force of government, yes. course of power of government. That does have issues, though, practically speaking. We'll, we'll get into, I think, first, maybe the the uh, the big picture, the theological reasons. Yeah. We have to talk about that. But practically speaking, it does have an effect on can you serve on a jury? Mm -hmm. I mean, could you vote on a jury to give someone the death penalty, right? Or could you be a police officer? Right. I mean, you if you were a, a firm pacifist in, in, in what you just described, you would not, I think, in good conscience, be able to be a police officer or have any possibility, any involvement in the taking of human life, or you wouldn't even be able to serve on a jury, Yeah, perhaps, that it was involved in that kind of a, of a, of a decision there, a capital crime or something like that. So, right, right. But that's, that's all practical. That doesn't really answer the question. Like, we can deal with the practical later, but the question is, what does God's word say yeah. for us as Christians today? So, uh, are there any particular passages that you that come to your mind regarding this? There's a yeah, there's a number of them, uh, and I do yeah. want I do want to turn. We'll turn to those pretty pretty quickly here. Uh -huh. What is the relationship here? Like, how does? I guess what I'm wondering is that there's this. We had a discussion about sphere sovereignty. We did, and it see it sounds to me like a lot of this notion of of uh, this question of pacifism versus the legitimacy of of Christians to participate in use of of force kind of hang on this notion of there being different spheres. Like, we are members of this spiritual kingdom, this heavenly kingdom. Um, we are also members and, and citizens of this earthly kingdom. Yeah. We're members of, you know, in, in our context, we're citizens of the United States. Um, so we we owe, in some sense, some allegiance to, to both. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess what is the relationship between like sphere sovereignty notions and kind of us belonging to both of these places simultaneously. Does that, does that contextualize any of the conversation for pacifism? Yeah, I think it does a, a little bit. Um, I, I'm just thinking uh, a person who, who held to, I'm only a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and I'm not a citizen of, of the earthly kingdom um, would, uh, I guess the problem would be that uh uh, Overrealized eschatology. I hate to use those those big terms like that, but um, uh, the idea being that, well, um, you know, I'm only a citizen of this kingdom, not the earthly kingdom. So therefore, I cannot be involved in anything that the earthly kingdom does, or I should only be involved in things that the heavenly kingdom does. And so, in that sense, I think a person might be. Um, uh, getting ahead of themselves and and almost wanting the um, heaven heaven on earth to be a reality uh, prematurely. Sure, and that Paul appeals to his Roman citizenship, right? Like the, yeah. the notion of like this citizenship generally is not something that th I, I would think would be super contentious yeah. to say. Like in some sense, we're citizens of both the earthly kingdom and the heavenly kingdom. Yeah, but there will be a time, of course, when in in heaven 
and when the Lord comes again, that there will be no more death. There will be no more crying or tears or, or war. And their you know, swords will be turned into plowshares, things like things like that, right? So um, I, I would say that those in the Anabaptist, you know, the Mennonite perhaps tradition might be over, uh, over um, expecting that now and saying, okay, we want yeah. that now. We're going to live that out now when it's really not time for that yet. Right. And I think I I agree with that. And I think, you know, another place where we can highlight, I think, some some agreement with with the with this particular position is that, you know, I think we would agree that we're when we talk about the use of force, Uh we are not to use force in this age for for Christ's spiritual kingdom. That's for the exactly heavenly kingdom, right. That's true. Right? Like as the church, the church qua church is not going and taking up arms. Yeah, the uh, church does not kill people. Yeah, on behalf of the gospel or anything like no. that. Like that is yeah. not. That's not. That's not where it's at, right? So, no, not um, at all. But but really, the question is, you know, we, you know, may we use force in this age for the earthly kingdom under restricted circumstances? Yeah. For for this, um, you know, for our on behalf of you know, as citizens of and as participants in the military engaged in a just war under Mm -hmm. restricted conditions, uh, may we engage in the use of force there both domestically in kind of a police context and also internationally in a a warfare context. Yeah, Yeah. so so here's the thing, that the difficult part in this is that there— there's nothing it's not really an explicit argument one could say either way like there's no there's nothing really explicit in scripture that says christians are to never use force in any circumstance at any time but it also doesn't say christians are to always be willing to go to war wage war or or take life you know if they're commanded to by a superior officer, whatever the case may be. A lot of these are implicit, right? So uh, let me give you one example of an implicit text. And uh, I'm, I'm referring to Luke chapter 3, verse 14, where um, John the Baptist is is being approached by a numerous uh, groups of people. Um, and they're coming to him, and they're asking their repentance, and they're asking about what they are to do. So here... I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read in, the, in verse 10, starting in verse 10, really. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. In verse 14, soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your with your wages. And so the implication there is these people are repenting and they're soldiers and they're asking now, what do we do? And he doesn't say, stop serving. He doesn't say, put down your weapons. And he doesn't say, take up farming. He says, don't extort money, uh, be content with your wages. So don't use your position, your power, to force people to give you money at the point of a sword, uh, basically like a mafia person yeah. would do. Um, he's he's telling them to, to do their job rightly. And it's interesting, you know, because John the Baptist is not one to hold back. He is, he's a fiery person. We know that he had no problem calling out sin. I mean, he called out Herod for, for Herod's uh, uh, sin, um, and he got beheaded for it, right? So, so the implication here is that you would think that if— a, a person who loves the Lord and is repenting of their sins 
uh, as being, you know, it, it should not be involved in, in conflict in any way, you know, you would think that John would have said, you know, don't stop serving. Um, well, so. yeah, and, and I think also, too, we can say here, like, positively, yeah. uh, like to say the exact same point positively, it's possible to, to live a godly life and yet be in the military. That's true. Right. So like here's I hope it's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, so so <laughs> like, here's chaps in the, who are in the military. <laughs> yeah. And John the Baptist is saying, um, here's how you ought to conduct yourself uh, in in that context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, um, of course, the difficult problem comes with some of the other passages. Uh, let's take a look at oh, the one that's a very popular one. Uh, well, they're, you know, they're, they're in three different locations, but both Luke. Uh, Luke, Matthew, and John reference the um, arrest of Jesus in the garden. And uh, I'll just read uh, one, one example uh, there. Um, let's see. Uh, I think probably the one I'll pick is from Luke chapter 22. Let's see. Luke 22, 48. Uh, here we go. Uh, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were f around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, this is Peter, of course, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Um, and then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as, as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And I, uh, one, uh, Matthew's, Matthew mentions um, specifically what Peter, what J Jesus says to Peter. 2652. That's it, yeah. 26. So, I, so Luke is, is, is useful, but then also Peter, um, and, and Matthew is mentioned. And uh, verse 52 of Matthew 26, Jesus said to him, he's talking to Peter, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And then he asked the rhetorical question, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? So the implication here is that, okay, Peter is defending his Lord against uh, what he believes to be injustice, a, um, a, a false arrest, a false accusation. And Peter thinks he's justified in drawing the sword and, and, and attacking. Uh, but Jesus tells him, put that away. He, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Yeah, which that's is a very the way interesting we turn of phrase. Kind of paraphrase it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. But so that's, that's the idea. How would you <laughs> handle that text, or how would you respond to that? I mean, is that not a text yeah. that affirms Christians are to not ever draw the sword? So I would say I would say no for a couple of different reasons. Okay. So number one, um, back to Luke for a minute. Luke in Luke twenty-two, uh, just a couple of verses earlier than what you mentioned. Uh -huh. um, Jesus says, "Hey, if you don't own a sword." Go sell your cloak and buy one. Now that's um, that's always a very controversial passage. And, yeah. and, and the apostle said, "Well, we have two swords." And Jesus said, "says He doesn't say, oh, I'll get rid of them. Then you're good to go. Leave them behind." He says, "No, that's enough. Two's all you need, right? So you don't have to, uh, you know, get a bazooka ready. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, trebuchet yeah, it's not catapult. it's not like that, right? So so we have to. And and Jesus also so when Jesus says, you know, I have not come to bring peace but a sword, right? So I mean, that's kind of a figurative sword in yeah. that sense. But here, I mean, in in Luke twenty two thirty six through thirty eight, we're talking about literal swords as as yeah. far as the context is concerned. That's true. Um, so we want to be careful about absolutizing Matthew twenty six fifty two. I think what's going on in that passage, what Jesus is saying is, look, Peter, you're missing that we do not, just like this fierce sovereignty point we made a few minutes ago, we don't use force on behalf of Christ. Mm. 
right? We are not like the sword may be used for civil purposes, but it's not for gospel purposes. It's not for protecting Christ. Okay. Um, and, and, and the other thing, too, is that like it, it does seem like Peter's posture here is kind of um, it, it doesn't strike me as, as fundamentally defensive. It's more like aggressive. Like, I mean, so it, it's like he's he's kind of drawing first blood, as it were. Because they weren't coming to kill at that moment. They were coming to arrest. Correct, correct. So I think Peter here is drawing first blood. So that's so there's kind of two pieces to it. One, we do not use force on behalf of defending Christ. The gospel. Or, or the gospel, exactly. Yes. At least not in this age, right? Nor do we, um, do we quote unquote, draw first blood, right? We're, it's always to be a posture of... Um, we can come back to the question of self-defense a few minutes, you know, down. Yeah, we definitely in, in need a, to hit on that. We'll come back to yeah. that. But it could be, you know, self-defense as well. And that doesn't quite seem to be what's going on here. So when Jesus says, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, I think that's what he's getting at. We want to be careful, again, not to um, absolutize uh, one strand of this or the other. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, and actually, I think it might be a good time to take a look at self-defense. So here's kind of the point, right? I mean, I agree with you. I think it's pretty clear as far as when it comes to presenting, proclaiming the gospel, um, the use of physical swords is not what what the church is is called to do. Uh, it's not what Christians are called to do. So we don't kill heretics. Via ex- you don't, we don't execute heretics Correct. Um, as churches. Um, our discipline, of, our church discipline, doesn't involve physical uh, violence against someone. Now, you know, the, the, the government might throw someone in prison or the government might take someone's money uh, as, as form of damages, right? But the church is not taking people's money, uh, it's not using force against them, not 40 lashes or whatever the case may be. So, and then of course, when we're proclaiming the gospel, we don't threaten people with violence if they don't become Christians. Correct. Right? That's the key. So yeah. that's, I think that's important there. But the question then comes down to, okay, are Christians as God's people, are we to uh, uh, pre- preserve life? And, and here's, here's one argument that I've heard. Um, we people have only one chance in this life to repent, to hear the gospel, repent, and believe in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So, if I am under attack personally, let's say someone someone breaks into the uh, to my house and is going to hurt me and my family, um, you know, if I kill him, I know that I know where I'm going, but I don't know where that guy is going, and I want to be able to preach the gospel and 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 have maybe as much possible time as I can. To give that man a chance, uh, that robber, that 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 thief, a chance to repent, there, and so I won't use lethal force, ever, at all, against anyone, even in self-defense. And that would be the idea. That would be the, the, the argument from that perspective that I've heard before, uh, there, um, and then I've heard them reference, in the Matthew five passage of retaliation, right? So. Um, you know, Matthew five thirty eight is is where Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And so the idea being that if someone uses force against me, I am not going to use force against them. Uh, not just because Jesus commands me not to, but because 
I, I know where I'm going. I don't know where they're going. And I want them to hear the gospel. Uh, what, what would you say to that perspective? In 25 words or less. 25 words or less, Dylan. <laughs> I, I'm going to give an answer, but I, I'm, give me some, some space sure. to lay this yeah, out. Lay this out. is a big, it's a big topic. It's a big one, right? It's a big one. Okay, first of all, if you're a Christian in the military engaging an enemy, you are not acting on behalf of the church. It, oh, yeah. it is critical to nail that down in our hearts and minds. You are acting on behalf of your earthly country, right? Now, both church and state, I believe, owe allegiance to the Lord as God. Both are under his authority, but they have distinct roles. Yeah. So when a Christian is under the authority of the government and they're authorized to fight a just war, it's appropriate to fight. But he's not. But but you're not engaging as a as a private individual. You're not you're not fighting to address personal malice mm-hmm. or or in, personal offense. Personal offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. He you're you're fighting for a just cause as a representative of the government. So now so here is we have this distinction about how we think about this conflict. You have conflict at a government governmental level, okay. and then you have your your posture as an individual. So at the individual level, we are praying for our enemies in conflict yes we love them we want them to repent and all things being able equal if the opportunity presents itself we are to share the gospel with that person and hope to see them one to christ Mm -hmm. and that they would acknowledge the uh the error of their ways i'm assuming for a minute that we're in the context of a just war yes all right so that needs to be said but that individual however is at a civil level representing an entity or a state that is perpetrating evil and as such we have author if back to just war for a minute if the war is executed at the highest governmental authority and granted all the other conditions discussed about just war both in the the means in which uh the war is fought and in the reasons for going to war um, assuming all of that is just then we are authorized to use uh, even I think lethal force mm-hmm. um, against this person. So, okay. so, so, so that covers the governmental level. That covers the governmental level. Um, when we talk about turning the other cheek, right? So talk about the individual, personal level. Now, you in your home. Yes, exactly. You in your home now. Exactly. Okay. When we're talking about turning the other cheek, the 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 int- look. Jesus is not saying let evil overtake us, right? Romans twelve twenty one says, "Do not be overcome by evil," but overcome evil with good. good. So look, oftentimes when when we're faced with evil, the the best thing you can do is not respond. So not escalating, right? Someone gives you the finger on the road, you know, uses mean words towards you. Don't bear personal malice. Don't try to avenge yourself. Respond with kindness. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So Jesus isn't saying let injustice win, let evil win. He's saying that the way to overcome evil could be to respond with kindness, turn the other cheek, acknowledge that, look, if the master suffered, you too will suffer. There's this suffering servant theme that does run through scripture. Okay. Um, but. Yeah. So and, you'd say the context of that passage is more of personal insults? I would say that, but I want to say more about like the broader, like how do we interpret the Sermon on the Mount generally, right? For example, in Matthew 6, 6, is the, so just to pull up Matthew 6, yeah, 6 sure. here just for a minute, um, he's talking about praying in private. 
So, but when you go to pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what do we take from that? Do we take from that that the only way to pray is when we're completely alone? Like, is that Jesus's point? His point is we don't pray for show, right? He knows that our hearts are led astray by the desire for plaudits. Um, but that doesn't mean Jesus is against public prayer. Or that you have to have a closet. Or that you have to have a closet. He's saying, he's saying watch your heart. So hmm. I, I think when we're thinking about the Sermon on the Mount generally, it's similar to kind of the, how we're looking at Proverbs in terms of we're given general truths and general applications. Yeah. But if we absolutize them, we end up contradicting other things that Scripture says. And one other thing, yeah, with regards to the retaliation passage— there's always a context, right? Because he's talking to um, the, the the Jews there that are listening. And he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, that's scripture he's just quoting. Does that mean that Jesus is now going to contradict and overturn scripture? Well, no, because um, the problem was that that concept of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that's given back in the Pentateuch, so the first five books of the of the Bible, regarding how justice is to be administered amongst the people of Israel. It's supposed to be the punishment fits the crime, right? And uh, But the problem was is that it was being abused yes. at that time period right. by individual people, including the Pharisees, who would invoke eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, whenever they were personally insulted, affected, anyone bothered them or hurt them personally, and they would say eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth and get back at the person. And that's not what it was there for. And that's not the intent of that of that law being given exactly. to the people of Israel. And Jesus highlighting the abuse um, that, was, that was given. So... Uh, I think that seems to be the context there. Um, and he and, also says, like, yeah. like there's a, and there's a, like, just that same principle we just teased out. That's yeah. all over the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says, you're not to swear or give oaths, right? Let your yes be yes or your no be no. Well, Deuteronomy six thirteen says, swear by the Lord. When you take yeah. oaths, swear by Him. Or the Nazarite vow. Or the Nazarite. So like, what we, if you end, if you absolutize. Uh, Jesus's words on the Sermon on the Mount to the exclusion of other things the Bible says, which I think, and you know, I may be overreaching a little bit here, but I don't think by too much, like the majority of those who I've engaged with personally who identify as pacifists tend to do, they, this is not the, this is not the kindest way to put it, but they tend to be red letter Christians. Like they, they will tend to um, look at what Jesus said and that is her, the hermeneutical control to the and they end up downplaying other things that that's that the holy spirit say. said right so well like, yeah i see what you're saying so like in, in deuteronomy 6 moses uh, moses says swear by the lord and the issue is swear on what's most important to you like an atheist like i swear on my mother's grave right so pagans are swearing by the ba- by the bales we're not to swear by the bales right swear on the lord and what what he's saying there is you cherish the Lord as God. You swear by him. He's what's most important to you. But so along the line, mm-hmm. if that just becomes this nice system of rules, like, you know, if, if you're facing the temple, it counts. If you're not facing the temple, it doesn't count. You know, kids are crossing their fingers like I promise. Yeah. Right. It's it's it becomes an it becomes a way to justify lying. And by Jesus's time, 
He's saying, look, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In both cases, the point is the same. Tell the truth. Yeah. Honor God. Because they were using oaths to trick people and to deceive people. Exactly right. You know, and I, I see I see what, what you're saying there. That's an interesting, important point for us to grasp. So, so what are we trying to say here? Well, it seems like when you take the whole counsel of God, we know in Exodus that there were laws that allowed for self-defense. Uh, I was thinking of Exodus 22, 22. Where, where, where if a thief breaks in and he is struck so that he dies in the night, uh, there is no blood guilt upon him. But if the sun has risen on him, uh, there will be blood guilt uh, if he was killed. So, uh, and there's a sense in which a person can engage in self-defense and not be guilty under the law of God. Right. They could not be punished uh, for bearing the blood guilt. Um, and so, so there seems like this, uh, at least allowance for, even at the individual level, we've already addressed the, the, the governmental level of warfare, but now the individual level of self-defense yeah. uh, there. Um, well, and, and so yeah. we don't want to lose, we don't want to lose too quickly, like what I, so what I, what I think Jesus is saying in, in Matthew, where he says, turn the other cheek, like someone comes at you with resentment or, you know, God forbid persecution, like for persecution for Christ's sake, there is this suffering servant theme in scripture mm-hmm. that we don't want to lose sight of too quickly. We smile and absorb it. Like if, if the master was beaten, why wouldn't we be? And there's Christians all over the world today who live under the boot of persecution that's very persistent and, and vicious. Mm. And that's like the normal ebb and flow of life for them, for the Christian. For the Christian. And yeah. so they look at us in, like, in, in our American context, they're like, like, how do you like, persevere in your Christian walk without like, this? You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, with the turn the other, so I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Um, but if you absolutize that and you say, well, that means that you know, rapists and bullies and you know, murderers, murderers and, and you know, terrorists, you know, that they should never have force exerted to prevent them from doing whatever they want? Well, well not by, but by, but by, not by Christians, but by the civil government. So, well, yeah. yeah, now we'll come back to that because that's like, can Christians partake in that yeah, well, part yeah. of it? But like, if we, if we absolutize it, the turn the other cheek business and apply it all over the place, you end up making like shipwreck of, of your faith because there are whole other threads within scripture that say, just the opposite, right? So, mm. you know, you're you're walking home late at night, you come across somebody trying to, some guy who's had a few to drink trying to force himself on a woman. And mm. now what is the Christian thing to do? Yeah. What is the loving thing to do? Huh. Right? Is the issue is, I'm, I'll turn the other, you call who's going to say that? You call, the cops. you call the cops and wait. Well, like, who's going to do that? Right? That's, is that the most loving thing to do? And I think we can say biblically, and we'll turn we'll turn to some more relevant passages here in just a second. But I think we can say no. Yeah. Right. That's not the most loving thing to do. You engage. Yeah, and, and that brings up. I was actually going to mention Luke ten. Yeah. The Good Samaritan passage. So let's, let's let's take a look at that one because I think that one is kind of important there. Um, we all I and mean, most of us are probably familiar with that passage. A lawyer was putting him to the test. It was always those lawyers putting him to the test. <laughs> no, no offense to you lawyers out there, um, but it's chapter ten, verse twenty-five. And basically, the lawyer says this, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, Jesus asked him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? So he's asking him, How do you interpret the law, lawyer? And the, and the lawyer said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your stro- soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
So basically, he just repeated back to Jesus the first two, the two greatest commandments. Maybe he had heard it before. Maybe he heard Jesus say that, and he's like, I like that. I like his interpretation of the law. I'm going to go with that. And here's what Jesus' response is. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now here's the, here's the kicker, right? Verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? So now... We see the, the truth behind it. So the lawyer's all fine with that rule, but he kind of wants to get out of it by uh, nitpicking what neighbor means. How, you know, how do you define the word neighbor? Yeah. You know, what does the word is mean? What's the definition of the word is? You know, things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's lawyering his way out of it. I mean, to use that phrase, that, that, that colloquialism. But um, Jesus gives him the story of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now, that passage, the primary focus of that passage, of course, is on the Samaritan who was hated and despised by the Jewish people. And, you know, the people that, that were the champions or the heroes, right, would be the Levites and the, and the priests. You know, they are the really good guys. They should be the ones that are doing it right, not the Samaritan. But one implicit question that I would want to ask is, what if they, because the, the context is they pass by after it all been ha done. So what happens if they pass by while he's being beaten, does it change the story? What would have been the neighborly thing to do if you're the priest or you're the Levite and you're the Samaritan and you're walking by and you see the man being beaten, stripped, robbed, yeah. and left half for dead? I mean, what the Samaritan did was right after the fact because yeah. it had already been done. Right. But what if he comes across it in the middle of it happening? Yeah. And that's to your point of you see the person being raped. You see the person being mugged and attacked. Do What is the right thing, the neighborly thing to do as a Christian? Do you just call the cops and wait? Do you wait for it to be done and then go tend the wounds, take him to the inn, whatever, feed them, pay for them? Or do you jump in the fray and try to stop well, so in, in Romans 13, 3 through 4, yeah. um, to, I'm going to come back to exactly yeah, yeah, that, yeah. but yeah, I think we're on the same page there. Like Romans 13, 3, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant, maybe minister there, uh, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the evildoer. Mm -hmm. So the text says that there are basically two purposes the government there are two contexts in which the government is justified in using force mm -hmm. so one is the restraint of evil yeah and one is the punishment of evil so one response to this from kind of the the, the pacifist heritage is that what paul is talking about here in romans 13 is about a government acting towards its own citizens mm -hmm. so 
while a police force may be legitimate, military force is not. Okay. Right. So this kind of gets to your question about call the police because there are some strands of pacifist traditions that might hold that a police force is is okay. Use is okay. okay. Exactly. Um, but what if the policeman's not there? Well, yeah, exactly. And then the the in, by implication, if if evil is being done to citizens of our own country, then we can stop it. But if evil is being done to citizens by other nations, there's absolutely nothing we can do. Well, that's um, true. I mean, it's just practically speaking, and I mean, I can't rescue someone in Russia who's being beaten right now. Right. But if in but, but in the moment, right, um, there is I there is warrant um, through a number of passages that we can turn to um, where stepping in and engaging on behalf of a party who is being victimized by a by an aggressor acting unjustly. Uh-huh. Um, and when I say aggressor, I mean there is violence happening. Yeah. I don't just mean somebody's using words and being mean and being mean i mean there is there is threat to the well-being of another person Mm -hmm. um and i mean like physically right physically yeah yeah so when that's in place then yeah what is the loving thing to do what does it look like for me to love my neighbor yeah um yeah and that's the tough question right but I, I don't think think it's that tough i don't think it's that tough yeah exactly i think it's a question that kind of answers itself I mean, yeah. nobody, uh, I, I don't know any pacifist who would stand by and watch someone get raped. But to say that misunderstands the turn the other cheek passage, like that to me is the key point. So like, yes, there's a, there's a story I heard um, this one pastor tell, and I love the story because it really captures this. So there's a pastor who was telling the story about like when uh, there was this kid who he knew who, when he was growing up, would get beat up like every day. By this, there was this neighborhood bully, mm. and you know the 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 family was trying to give like Christian like turn the other cheek, Jesus will be with you, but this kid would go to school right get you know beat up again and come, yeah. come home crying again day after day, um, so one day when the dad wasn't home, the mom <laughs> pulled the kid aside, and said, "Listen, I'm going to tell you what to do. The next time this bully hits you, right." You, you you make a fist, you put, you know, put your thumb on the outside, you just kind of show him how to make a fist. But the next time this bully hits you, you you hit him once, hit him as, as, as hard as you can. And then you come back and tell me, just hit him once. And, and don't, she said, don't hit him first. But when he hits you, you, you fight back, just one hit as hard as you can. Then you come tell me. And, you know, the kid was delighted. You know, now I got parents authority behind me. Now I'm going to mm-hmm. go, you know, handle this. So the next day the kid goes to school. And as usual, the bully hits the kid. And the kid just wheeled back and hit the bully as hard as they could. Um, now, the next day, the, some of the verbal abuse continued, but the physical abuse did stop. So now here's the question, right? Did the mom disobey Jesus? Hmm. That's the question. Yeah. Are we rightly understanding what Jesus is saying when he talks about turning the other cheek? Yeah. And again, we have this notion of how do we interpret what Jesus is saying in the in the Sermon on the Mount? He's if we if we absolutize any of those, we miss the point about that Jesus is making about what's the posture of your heart. So the same thing about whether it's about swearing oaths, whether it's oh here's the next one in Matthew five forty one, Christian and Jesus day comes along. You know, a Roman soldier could say, hey look, you need to carry help me carry my pack for a oh, mile. Oh, is that the extra mile? The right? extra mile. So. So what if the Christian says, you know, 
fine. I'll, I will do my duty to Rome, and you know I'll take this pack for you one mile. But that's it. Not one step more. Just one mile. That's all you get, right? And Jesus is saying, go the extra, right? Like smile, wet smile. Give him, give him a cup of coffee, right? Yeah. That's the example this, this pastor used. No, yeah, yeah but like, no. but you get the point, right? Smile. Give him a cup of coffee. So, so turn the other cheek when someone yeah. comes at you with resentment or persecution. You, you smile and absorb it, but. That does not give a blank check for rapists and bullies and terrorists or whomever to to never have force exerted on them to prevent them from doing what they want. So here's the question I'll, I'll ask you then. So you, it seems like there's a delineation. If you're being attacked because of the of the gospel, because of Christianity, because of Christ, you're being attacked. That is a different category than if it's for some other reason. So like if someone comes up to you and says uh i'm here to you know you, i know you're a christian and uh i'm gonna shoot you uh or i'm I, i'm here to kill you because of your faith mm. and uh in, in that case that'd be different than someone come up to you and say i'm going to uh shoot you take your money um give me all you got kind of thing uh, or i'm going to attack your family you know and you you, you know things like that so you, you say there's a delineation between uh, uh self-defense and then response to persecution. I would, and I would, I would broaden it a little bit too, yeah. because I also think the same thing applies to, um, you know, uh, verbal attacks. So, like for example, if someone's, if, if even like somebody cuts you off on the road, yeah. I mean, that, you're not being persecuted for your faith there. But I do think here this this turn the other cheek where where the issue is like um, personal offense. Okay, personal offense. Put it that way. If if the issue is personal offense, or if the issue is um, personal threat because of the fact that you are a Christian, mm -hmm. right? Then I think that's, I gotcha. yeah, that's where this but is. If it, if it, but, if we're, but if we're getting to the point where it is, um, you know, you need to love your neighbor and you also need to not engage in murder. And that also means yourself. You need to protect life. Yeah. Then you're obligated to protect life. Yeah, exactly. As best as possible. Yeah. Now, of course, as a Christian, uh, we would love to use as minimal force as possible to accomplish that goal. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it might require more than that. And, and, and uh, well, now the question comes down to, and what I want to get to in the last, uh, the last time we have here is, okay, Let's just say that, uh, you know, a pacifist friend says, I'm okay with self-defense or using the police force. Um, I'm okay with all of that. But something like a military draft or something like, um, you know, a war breaks out and they're calling for volunteers. They're calling for people to serve. And if I as the, you know, if I don't believe that that war is just, am I as a Christian? Is it, is it okay for me to uh, you know, be a conscientious objector and to refuse to serve, refuse to be called up in the draft, refuse to, um, uh, to sign up when they ask me to uh, because I believe the war to be unjust? Is that a legitimate position for a Christian to hold? In your, in your, from the, what do you think? I, I, well, Ultimately, I will say yes, but I want to caveat it, sure. put a caveat there, because yeah. I think there is a danger when I think of myself as like, I as a Christian, and I take a, a stance as a conscientious objector because there is a war going on that I'm being asked to partake in that is that I believe is not just. That you believe is unjust. Right? So I would strongly 
recommend. So, so the the general default that we that we have is to is to obey the authorities who are over us as yeah. a as a general submit rule of thumb. to the governing submit to the governing authorities. Okay. Um, on the other hand, we must obey God rather than men. True. So so if I personally feel like this is not a just war that doesn't mean it's not a just war it's that's something that like i need to get some counsel on that and okay. like i had better if if i'm yes the, to answer the question directly yes there is a place for conscientious objection if the war is not just but if you're going to be a conscientious objector um and you're going to claim that the war is not just um you will want to be very careful about uh, you'll want to make sure you're right as make as sure as you can that you're right and surround yourself with with wise christian um wise christian counselors mm. who can reflect on what scripture says right alongside you and and like lay out the, the concerns that you have and walk yeah. through scripture with that person you don't want to do it on your own and don't take it uh, don't take it lightly don't take it lightly yeah, it's not a light thing it's not an excuse exactly it can be so e- it's so easily become uh, guys for cowardice and i'm not saying that's what it always is no no i know it's absolutely not what it always is yeah like there are plenty of instances where there are absolutely Ill, like unjust illegitimate wars that christians need to be conscientious objectors about but we also want to acknowledge that like in our own hearts our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked and a lot of times it could be um we, we just want to make sure that it that it is or yeah. is not just by biblical standards according to some of the standards you know that we talked about in our earlier episode before we take that step. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And that, 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 that seems like, I mean, I agree with that. And that, it seems like it fits with what we're, what we're seeing here in scripture. Um, are there any other passages that you think are relevant and, oh, yeah. and, and that we want that would be useful to talk about right now? Yeah. Like we've kind of addressed, uh, you know, self-defense, uh, uh, being, being, um, you know, just war a little bit, um, conscious objections, uh, and serving in the police force, things like that. Um, Yes, so yeah. there's, there's a couple, right? Yeah, so what's up? one is uh, John 18:36. Okay, John 18. So in in John 18:36, Jesus is responding um he's responding to Pilate mm. and Jesus says, uh, well, let's go. Pilate answered in verse 35, "Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done?" Mm. And Jesus answered, "My kingdom is not of this world." If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Hmm. So I think we see, interestingly, that there's kind of two sides to what he's saying here. On the one side, his servants are not of this world. The church belonging to the heavenly kingdom is not to use violence on behalf of Christ or Christ's name. Okay, I'm following. On the other hand, there does seem to be this insistence that had we been of this world if or a kingdom of this world, world, then there would be a place. There would be war. There, there would be war. There would be a place for violence, right? The gov- so that to me is very interesting because it evidences, A, the sphere sovereignty point that we made earlier, but B, it also reinforces the notion that the government at under certain restricted circumstances may have, um, may have just uh, cause to go to war. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then you know the the other thing too. I mean, you had asked earlier about not can now non Christians participate in those wars even if they're just? Um, can or, Christ- excuse me, can Christians? Yeah, uh, I don't see that distinction in Scripture. What distinction? Like non Christians may fight in wars, but believers can't. 
I, oh, I see what you're saying. Like in in Acts like double 10, standards. Like in double standard, yeah. Like in Acts ten, like it's kind of to your point about Luke three fourteen about them okay. not being told to you know not serve in the military. The yeah. point being that you can live a godly life and still serve in the military. I think the same can be true of Cornelius, who was Cornelius. a centurion. Yeah, centurion. Yeah. Right. So in Acts ten, he's called a devout man in verse two. The Lord yeah. hears his prayer. A verse devout four. man who feared God with all his household. Um. When he converts, there's nothing that suggests that Peter told him to leave the army. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. So, I, so it gets to this point now. You bring it up uh, real quick. Um, the double standard thing. I think that is is an interesting point that is applicable in a lot of areas. Yeah. So, like, here's here's I guess the principal concern. Is it okay for us to say that something is a sin for Christians, but it's not a sin for non Christians? Like, for example. We just mentioned taking life in a, in, a, in, a, in a justified manner. It's okay for non-Christians to engage in war, police op- police operations, things like that, execution. But it's not okay. It's a sin for Christians to engage in those things. Does that yeah. is that is that is that true? Can that principle really exist? I mean, or would it be similar to me saying like it's okay for for non-Christians to drink alcohol? But it's not okay for Christians to drink alcohol. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, yeah. is there a is there a standard yeah. that's only for Christians and that's not for non-Christians? No. Now I want to qualify that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it, if you push me to the wall on answering that, I would say no. Okay. God has one standard. One law. One law that applies across the board. It's not like God has you know one rule for one group of people and one rule for another group of people. Mm-hmm. Um. That said, I do think that there are certain things that, you know, f- th- there are some things that, uh, you know, when when you're a member of a church, you know, you're, for example, there are some things that you're saying, okay, I'm I'm committing to do X, Y, and Z by virtue of the fact that I'm a member of this local church. You don't do them well. If you have a non-believer who's not, you know, a member of that particular local church, you know, there may be some particular m- manifestation of something within that church. That, yeah, but that non-believer you know I mean? should become a Christian. He should. He should. And but go I, to church. I, yeah, I guess I'm saying that I I want to leave some place for um, local churches uh, covenanting together as local churches. Um, so I, I want to leave some kind of a place for that uh, where we say, look, you know, in this local church, um, you know, we we have a particular practice. Um, yeah. Know, baptism, for example. Baptism, yeah. Like a certain way of thinking about baptism. Um, or, yeah. Y- you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be that. It could be anything. I want to leave some space for, for those kinds of questions where there's difference from local church to local church. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about God's law as God's law, the answer is no. There is not one standard for this group of people. It's amazing if you look in in the Psalms and and uh, like how often um, nations who rise up against Israel are called to account on the basis of the same law that that Israel has, but they do not have. Yeah, like it's it's pretty inc- it's pretty interesting how they are held to the same standard. That's true. Um, so I mean, we could tease that out in another yeah. episode, but um, so yeah, I would I would say generally not. Okay. Well, <laughs> in twenty five <laughs> words. That time or less, went by fast. That did man. go by fast. <laughs> um, well, listen, if, if you have questions, I mean, I know this this is a really weighty topic, mm-hmm. and and we love getting feedback. If you have questions, we're gonna do proverb of the day, but uh, again, just because of the weightiness of it, please do feel free to reach out. Um, you know, via email or Twitter or Facebook. This this typical. Um, 
kind of social media platforms. We're all over all of those. Uh, we also love that uh, that back and forth and that response with, with yeah, listeners. Absolutely. Um, proverb of the day. Proverb of the day. Proverb of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So <laughs> all right. is it my turn, right? You are on the hot seat, good oh, sir. All right. All right. So proverb of the day. Okay. Are you ready? Uh, I, yeah, I'm ready. I have my uh, keyboard here. I don't think you're ready for this proverb. I'm just <laughs> I don't know. What, don't sing. Don't sing. No, distracting me. No, go ahead. Oh, I love it. All right. Proverbs 16, verse 7. Oh, 16, 7. Okay. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. All right. It's kind of relevant. Yeah, we're talking a little bit about fighting, peace, enemies, things like that. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, um... That's beautiful, man. And by the way, that's a, I, I love I love the proverbs in general, and that one is is just it's a good one, right? It's a good one, man. Yeah, it really, yeah. it does move me. And uh, just thinking about like a man's ways that please the Lord. So let's think about, I mean, think about it when a person does not please the Lord, like when they're not, when they're when they don't love their neighbor and they don't love God and they're just living in sin. Like people I know who aren't aren't, aren't believers, they have so many conflicts and and broken relationships with people at work. Envy, enmity, vengeance, um, uh, just family, uh, grudges that they hold. You just hear about that all the time, and you're like, wow, man, you know, that's, that's terrible to have that. Um, and, and there's enemies everywhere, it seems like, in that person's life. Like, everyone's against them, or maybe they're against a lot of people. But look at this. I mean, this proverb says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So, so in serving the Lord, when... When we are pleasing to the Lord, and that, of course, that can only happen, uh, faith in Christ, is when we have peace with God. And now think about that. Like, we need to have peace with God, and then what comes out of that is peace with others, right? So, you know, we always talk about, you know, peace on earth and, and goodwill. We all want peace on earth, right? We all want, want peace. But, but really, that peace can never happen unless there's first peace with God. Because there's no peace with God, there's war amongst men. I mean, if you think about it, like, let's go back to Garden, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, now they're against each other. And now there's also that fight between Cain and Abel, right? And the first murder that takes place, right? Um, because sin is knocking at the door, you know, for, for Cain there. And so I would say um, when we have peace with God, I think we begin, that sets the stage for having peace with our neighbor. And why is that? Because of repentance. Because of, I go to my neighbor who I have wronged, and I say, man, I am sorry for what kind of person I've been. Will you forgive me? Or, or, or you tell that person, hey, you, you hurt me in this way, and I want to forgive you. Please, let's be reconciled. And that can only happen when we have peace with with the Lord. Um, and it's the Lord who makes his enemies, the man's enemies, to be at peace with him. Now, that's not to say that you won't ever have enemies, but but the enemies that you will have are because they're enemies of Christ. And that's the difference, right? Like before you were a Christian, before you belonged to the Lord, you had enemies because you were just a jerk. Right. You know, mm. you, you were a, a horrible person. You were mean. You were rude. Um, but now there's there's peace 
between you and your former enemies. And you might make some new enemies now because now you belong to the Lord and those who hate the Lord will hate you. And it's not because of you being a jerk, a jerk or anything like that, but because you proclaim Christ. Hmm. Right. So, uh, yeah, so we want to be careful not to um, you know, absolutize it and saying, oh, I'm a Christian. I should never have any enemies. Well, no, no, you probably you might you might have some enemies, but it better be for the right reasons. Hmm. So think think about that. Um, and if you are truly at peace with the Lord and when you're pleasing the Lord and serving him, um, you should see relationships healed and reconciled, even that, in your community, even in your community. Yeah, even yeah. The, for, among those who are not Christians. I mean, Christians de- ought to be, you know, uh, peacemakers, peacemakers in peacemakers. their community. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's, I mean, it's a very moving proverb and a very applicable one today, mm. no doubt. So. Amen. So that's a good one awesome to end on. One. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for listening in and for joining us on today's episode of Two Guys in a Bible. If you enjoyed the show or if you benefited from it, if you benefited from it, if you profited from it in any way, please leave a review. Um, even if you didn't, please leave a review. Uh, we'll take the honest reviews as well. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> um, true. So please leave a review or reach out to us. At, we, we love getting feedback and emails. Twoguysinabible.podcast at gmail.com. This is number two, twoguysinabible.podcast at gmail.com. Also on Twitter, handle at n- the number two, two guys in a Bible. Uh, Facebook forward slash number two, two guys in a Bible. Or uh, just the number two, two guys in a Bible dot org. Yeah. Uh, we love hearing back uh, feedback and responses. So thank you again for tuning in, and we will catch y'all next week. All right, next time. God bless. God bless.